Welcome to Fireside Chat, a short interlude with weekly features where I, your host Jip Lucas, will be showcasing and interviewing prominent D&D creators. This week, we're talking to Linus, a Chrysostrad dungeon master and a player of Amity and Twice Bitten, about avoiding the dragon effect, how your game is not twice bitten and how that's a good thing. Are you saying that any D&D game can possibly be better than Twice Bitten? Do I need to send you rotten eggs in the mail? Thanks, but that wouldn't be worth the international postage. I love TB and its cast, and I love having a friendly audience. And I'm proud to announce that Twice Bitten has passed my threshold for fame, namely a Reddit post from a DM lamenting that their game isn't like TB. But in part because TB is a performative podcast, there are parts of it that would be suboptimal for a weekly home game. So yeah, according to our surveys, odds are you're using our campaign as a mold to run your own. And if so, I'm here to suggest which parts of that mold to study and treasure, and which parts that maybe if you throw them away, like uh, mold, will actually make your game better than Twice Bitten. So what about a Twice Bitten's format would you not copy and paste into your own campaign? Being performative is sometimes at cross-purposes with having fun. Simple example, there are many, many times in Twice Bitten when two player characters do an extended emotional aside. For a performance, this is great. Like, constant five-character conversations would be hard to follow and hard to keep focused. But for a home D&D game, most players don't really gel with having extended scenes that they're excluded from, or that aren't about them at all. Now, something from Twice Bitten that you probably do want in your home game is delicious strawberry-flavored character-based roleplay. And yeah, you can absolutely encourage RP. Like, you can ask your players questions like, what is Metreon thinking right now? You can straightforwardly just tell the players what kind of scenes you think would be fun in your game. And you can have NPCs ask them like fluffy questions like, oh, have you ever gotten into trouble with the law? One of my favorite takeaways from TV so far is Dragna's wonderful portrayals of all of the commonly encountered NPCs. That, for example, is a lovely thing to steal for your game. But let me tell you about my absolute favorite D&D player. He's my favorite because he's my boyfriend and he's in my own Curse of Strahd game. He loves roleplay and he is better than me at roleplay. But I don't know if he'd be very happy in Twice Bitten when whole hours go by with just interparty roleplay and no close call combat or tense faceoffs. I get the sense because he's open and honest with me and he tells me it directly that he becomes inattentive. Pacing, folks, it's important. Sometimes people will talk about these types of D and D players, like the Min Maxer or the Actor. Um, I don't really like these labels, mostly because they're presented like everyone is supposed to be exactly one of them, and they're also presented like, oh, you're good if you're the actor, and you're bad if you're like you care about combat and stuff. I prefer thinking about and snobby academic reference incoming here. Mark LeBlanc's Eight Kinds of Fun. So different players are engaged by a different mixture of stuff like role-playing to get immersed in a fantasy world, and overcoming challenges with smart decision-making, and just hanging out with their friends at a table, and a number of other things. Five other things. Five is the number of other things. Angry GM has a brilliant article about this called Gaming for Fun. Do read it. It will level you up as a dungeon master. And it's important that you tune your game, and if possible, pick your players, so that the players who want challenge feel challenged, and the players who want fantasy feel immersed, and most importantly, you as a DM are engaged. Now, 
for a performative podcast. Au contraire. When you listen, for example, to an actual play podcast, what do you not want to hear? For me, at least, it is a full hour of Firebolt, 19 to hit. That hits. 7 damage. Then a bonus action to disengage, and I move back 15, no wait, 20 feet. When I'm actually playing D&D, that means everything to me. I mean, it's tactical grid combat, right? You've got to go to the right square if you don't want to be hit. You've got to cast the right spells. You've got to, you know, help out the right allies. But as a listener, I can't engage with the micro tactics. The things I really care about are A, individually hype as hell moves, and B, are they winning? Hence, for Twice Bitten, it's natural that, well, as a performative campaign, we do less combat than our individual players might want in a normal game of D&D. How about the premise of Twice Bitten? That the player characters aren't heroes or adventurers, but normal angsty people. I'm of two minds about this. First, it is wonderful for generating great character RP. I mean, come on, you you watched us, right? Like in Death House, that was an absolute rush. None of us wanted to be here, but we were trapped, we were going to starve if we stay put. We were forced into action. However, I do feel like there was a lull after we reached Velaki, when none of our characters wanted to go on adventures and check out the spooky haunted mansion or even leave the town at all. And this was only really resolved when we were, again, forced into action by Strahd showing up and telling us that if we stopped being interesting, then he would kill us and he would keep burning our houses down. Which, I mean, that's a, that is a great way to force us into action. That was brilliant. But overall, I encourage you to experiment with this idea of the PCs not being heroes at the start of your game with the caveat that you should make sure they don't get frustrated you might honestly just tell them that once they reach level four or five, you expect them to become more adventurous because exploring the world is the only way they'll be able to escape from it. Are there any other traps a dungeon master might fall into by trying to replicate the Dragon Akarta twice bitten experience? Yes. If you're using TB as a guide for your own game, then you might be nervous if your players go off course. Say, if they support the Baron over Fiona or visit the swamp early on, or ask the pastry chefs for help poisoning Esmeralda. And if they do, resist the temptation to push back against them. Every game of Curse of Strahd is unique, that's what's so great about it, more so than even other published modules, and that is wonderful. It will be more exciting for you to see what story your players blunder into, and carefully plan their way into, than to rehash the plot of TV. And trust me, if you nudge the steering wheel too heavily, your players will feel it. If NPCs seem to have this preternatural sense for which areas are level appropriate for the PCs and guide them there accordingly, or if Irina keeps following your dudes around even though they don't really care about her and haven't talked to her in days, or if their plans to disguise themselves as the Baron and order Ezek to arrest Donica so that they can take over the Blue Water Inn are stonewalled, then your players will feel it, and they'll feel Curse of Strahd as a linear series of quests rather than a breathing world. Uh, related, by the way, if you're a first-time Cursor of Strahd, it is so hard to figure out how to play Strahd. He is a complex, multi-dimensional villain, and I will 0% blame you for taking Twice Bitten's immediately openly monstrous Strahd and importing him copy-paste directly into your game. However, it's not the only Strahd. 
In my game, Strahd went for a more diplomatic relationship with the party initially. Like, you know how he talked to Lillison last episode? There was this underpinning of hostility, a constant implication that he's in control. He's a cat toying with his mice. So he plays with his food, but he's also intrigued by their actions. He at least pretends to respect them. His first interaction is not burning their house down. (laughs) Because what he wants is to build the PCs up as heroes so that he can break them down. He wants to tempt them into evil so that he can lord their mistakes over them. And, well, eventually, once they get too powerful, once they actually might be a threat, well, yeah, nice gloves come off, they gotta go, time to burn their house down, time to kill them all, I mean, (laughs) send them to the crypts. I enjoyed my more diplomatic interpretation of Strahd, because even though my players hated Strahd as a villain, and knew that he was toying with them, they respected him. They were even excited to initiate conversations with him. And in addition, playing the slow role gave my players insight into his history and motivations. So overall, Strahd is a wonderful villain, and he deserves your players' respect along with their fear. Wow, Linus, you're so smart and handsome and make such good points. Final question. Twice Bitten runs Crystal Strahd 100% as written in the book, so that means we recommend you do too, right? Yes, yo, exactly. To do otherwise would be to insinuate that you are a better module writer than Chris Perkins. Do you think that you can write a better campaign than Chris Perkins? I mean, come on. It is a stroke of genius to decide whether to give your players the Bones quest based on whether or not one of them is a cleric or paladin. It signals to parties without a cleric or paladin that they've made a mistake and should start over. Gary Gygax himself wrote Irene, sorry, Tatiana's monologue to Sergei and Kresk. The rules as written Strahd stat block is a brilliant combination of impossible to beat if you abuse the phasing through walls ability, and incredibly flimsy if you don't. See, with this stat block, you can decide when and if your players deserve to win. And only a wimp would rig the Taroka reading. True dungeon masters accept the chance of giving the players no good reason to visit critical locations like Argon Vostolt or the Amber Temple or the chance of the players finding the Sun Sword in Session 5 and needing to rebalance all the fights. Oh, sorry, did I say rebalance? I meant run all combats as written, and either TPK or barely pose a challenge, depending on the number and skill of your players. Well, of course there's guides out there, like Dragna's own Curse of Strahd Reloaded, which has wonderful suggestions on how to interpret and run the module, uh, mixed in, unfortunately, with his entire cool underscore dnd underscore stuff.txt file strewn at random throughout Barovia. And Mandy Mod's fleshing out Curse of Strahd guide, which ups the campaign into an epic tier 3 adventure and therefore immediately fails since 5e isn't balanced above level 11. Also, I think it puts a corn maze in Kresk, which, like, what? I don't even. What's going on? In conclusion, Curse of Strahd Dungeon Masters are like snakes. They're more scared of their players than their players are of them. But also, pretty much, no matter what, your players will love you for DMing. So don't fret if you're so far from Twice Bitten that you have zero or even five bites in your own campaign. I hope this helped with some combination of your confidence and your awareness of your own table. You are now feeling very, very sleepy. When I snap my fingers, you will continue listening to Twice Bitten.